0: Welcome to ChipChat Conversations in the Cloud, a weekly podcast with IT leaders who are driving the future of a software-defined infrastructure-based data center.
1: Hello, I'm Jake Smith, and welcome to another edition of ChipChat Conversations in the Cloud. Today, I'm speaking with Travis Reeder, co-founder and CTO of Iron.io, and Bart Schachter, COO of Iron.io. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. you. Tell us a little bit about your history, Travis, and how you founded the company.
0: So before Iron, me and my co-founder had a consulting company doing consulting for IoT, you'd call it now. But back then it was just smart devices, devices that were talking to the internet. So we were collecting data, we were processing data. The only way to do it was really to set up your own stuff. You get some open source things like a message queue figure out your storage and you know we had to do this for every one of our customers so one day we're just thinking there's got to be a better way so we built our own system where we could use it for all of our customers so we collect that data and we process that data so we created this project called iron worker we put it live and it all of a sudden got some uh, traction and so six months later we got investment and started iron io
1: nice so, Bart,
2: you're the business guy here, right? So I like to say the adult at the table. <laughs> How did you get here? So I joined Iron I.O. about nine months ago, beginning of this year. I have a relatively long history in tech. I actually started my career at Intel, where I spent about nine years in the Andy Grove era in the, in the 90s. He will be missed. Yes, Indeed. And uh, fast forward a couple of years, I was immediately prior to RNIO at Docker. And when I met Travis and his co-founder Chad, one of the first things that struck me was that they were using and in fact had been using Docker containers for a number of years to a great purpose to help companies essentially run their workloads and jobs and batch processes using containers so i saw it as a very practical and good commercial applications of the container movement and that was the initial reason why i got excited about iron io docker adoption is not shrinking and yet you left a couple of years after you started there. The big question in the Docker world 12 months ago was about who, if anyone, is using Docker in production. And that question was asked primarily of enterprises. Everybody's experimenting with it. Everyone's trying it. A lot of developers were. But what Travis and the team at Iron.io were doing was actually running containers and Docker in production. In fact, the very core of Iron.io, as we'll get into, is Docker and container base. So it was, and I think still continues to be, one of the largest commercial deployments of Docker. It's relatively invisible to the outside world, but that's what makes the workloads run. So it was very exciting application and use of Docker containers.
1: Most people don't know about ironio. So Travis, talk a little bit about I don't want to say serverless because you know I do work for Intel and we care about servers. But talk a little bit about function as a service. That's by the way the newest as a service term I've heard. So that's pretty cool. I think
0: everything is becoming as a service now. So uh so functions as a service is I like to look at it as the transition from these bigger monolithic apps and You know, the next phase was microservices, where you're breaking down these monoliths into smaller services. Now, you're breaking down even, say, microservices into even smaller chunks of code. So code that you're shipping is essentially just doing one little thing. It could be, you know, an API endpoint is one function. It could be processing an image is another function. And you ship that code rather than shipping an entire application to a provider like us, and we will execute that across any number of servers. We scale it for you. So you don't really have to think about anything other than this little bit of code. So that's kind of the concept behind functions as a service. For example, when you're using us, you ship your code to us as a Docker container. And we execute those containers across you know, thousands of servers without you having to think about the servers. You just use our API.
1: Charles, why don't you spend a moment and talk a little bit about the services that you see today and into the future. And then Bart, I'd like to hear from you about the business aspect.
0: Before serverless functions as a service, you'd have the PaaS layers. You ship your entire app, and they kind of run it for you. Below that is the orchestration layers, Kubernetes, Swarm, Mesosphere. And below that and other layers, your infrastructure, OpenStack, and of course the public clouds. So we kind of see this value line moving up where we really focus on the developer. The developer uses the API, and they can actually ship code and deliver services. And they don't have to think about these underlying layers. So we think a lot of the services will go into that kind of end, where they're really focused on the developer, rather than focusing on IT and ops.
2: Interesting. to Talk about the business aspects. Sure. So ultimately, whatever we want to call this movement, it is about having developers develop and not focus on infrastructure and thinking at all about where the computing resources sit. So that manifests itself in a couple of different ways that our technology is packaged. One of the things we announced just last week at the OpenStack event in Silicon Valley was the ability to run this kind of service, which a lot of people, describe as a Lambda-like service because AWS has done quite a bit of evangelism around it, but to use Iron I.O. to run these kind of jobs on an OpenStack private, or hybrid infrastructure. So that allows developers to have that same kind of functionality and not think about infrastructure even in their own private data center. And that's something that we are doing not just with OpenStack, but we're doing it across each of these different orchestration layers that Travis alluded to, like Kubernetes, like Cloud Foundry, like Mesosphere. and. It allows developers to keep developing and not worry about infrastructure while allowing the IT department to regain control over some of its own developers so they can use internal resources for that development. That's actually
1: a really important point. You're freeing developers to focus on the functions, if you will, that they want to implement and not have to focus on how do I get port services? How do I have access to the database? You're actually allowing them to say, no, I actually just want the app application to do this. And then I'm going to look to IronIO to help me enable everything else. So you're allowing DevOps to really become uniquely qualified to deliver exactly what the CIO and the senior executives want from a service delivery perspective and not have to know be generalists. They can actually really be very specific in delivering functionality.
2: That's right, so developers today and in the future will need to know and worry less about that infrastructure. They got a taste of it in the public cloud, but the public cloud still required a fair amount of infrastructure knowledge. And in the world that we are enabling, they can focus on applications, on the time to delivery, on the way to architect their application, in a way that could get them to market the fastest. So it does allow them to specialize and it allows the DevOps group to think about developers sort of as the best in class developers as opposed to those who know about or worry about the infrastructure.
1: So Travis, can you talk a little bit about using snap and working with intel and what that sort of meant for the organization i know we announced it in may at our cloud day but could you talk a little bit about it technically and how you take advantage of telemetry and those kind of functions and orchestration
0: well there's a few phases to this first part is integration with OpenStack. the snap integration is more about since we kind of control this layer between the hardware and the code we can profile with Snap and kind of figure out which machine or which Intel chip, for instance, would be best to run a certain workload. Uh, One we always talk about is uh, for cryptography, Intel has special chips that are designed just for that. So if we can send the workload again, the developer doesn't really have to think about it. They might just say, this one's doing encryption. We can send it to a specific server that has those chips on it, and that code will run a lot faster on those chips. So we
1: can sort of automatically move these
0: workloads around And again, the developer doesn't really have to think about it.
1: And the technology I think you're referring to is called quick assist technology for those folks following along at home. And so you could identify the servers that actually had quick assist technology on them and redirect the function and the service towards that.
2: Exactly. Wow, what a platform. If I can add a comment that that's just one example, obviously, of what you can do with this intelligent workload routing. uh, You can think about applications that need to be geographically aware of move certain workloads in different geographies. If you look at what's happening in Europe where they have to segregate data because of the UK's exit from the Eurozone, you have situations where this kind of ignoring of the infrastructure can only go so far if you can allow the snap telemetry to intelligently profile and move your workloads to the right geography. That's another application down the road for this kind of fabric.
1: Now, um, the joke we were joking before this all started was, how can a guy like Travis, who wears a serverless shirt, come in here and talk to Intel?
0: Yeah, of course, It runs on servers. In fact, we run a ton of servers ourselves. But there was a a good tweet about, I think it said, the funny thing about serverless is how many servers are required to run it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like the sound of that. So where do you see the industry going, Bart? You've got background in Docker. You've got background in Intel. Uh, We both had the honor to work for Dr. Grove. Where's the industry going?
2: this is amazing space and you guys are really leaders here. so where do you think it's going? So ultimately where the industry's going and I think this is a 20 year trend is increasingly towards a multi-cloud and hybrid environment. So where that plays very close to us is that these kind of workloads that we're talking about here and that we manage need to be intelligently routed to multiple clouds to multiple public or private data centers. So the direction of the marketplace is most likely in one that requires intelligent workload routing and one that is not going to be a winner-take-all single solution kind of vendor. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. I know our listeners have learned a lot. I've certainly learned a lot.
1: Uh, With that, I would like to thank Travis Reeder, co-founder and CTO of Iron.io, and Bart Schachter, COO of Iron.io. This has been Jake Smith on ChipChat Conversations in the Cloud.